defeating despair by restoring reason. With the author of Restoring Reason, Using Ancient Liberal Arts to Defend Against Modern Manipulation, Travis M. Cochran, on episode 211 of the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Something I did more frequently as I got older, and that was self-reflect and making sure that my my perspective conformed to reason. So many people, like, and once I put this book out and since I've been teaching, a lot of people come to me and they'll say, it's crazy, man. They always have the same... Brad, they come with the same question every time. It's like, hey, I'm dealing with I'm dealing with someone who's unreasonable. How do I convince them of this, this, and this, or whatever it may be? Yes. And I always say, well, first, you need to be certain that you're correct or that your conclusions are true. Have you evaluated your premises? Have you looked at those? So that was one thing I did. The other, I think, was also really important, and that helped a lot, and that was to be more responsible with my language. Hello, this is Dr. Paul Anderson, author of Cancer, The Journey from Diagnosis to Empowerment, and you're being empowered by listening to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, helping you achieve peace of mind. Welcome to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, the show dedicated to helping you crush adversity and succeed in life. Brad believes you deserve a life that is fulfilling and impactful, and this show is designed to help you navigate beyond adversity and achieve your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. Now, here's Dr. Brad. Hello again, good people. Welcome to Beyond Adversity with Dr. Brad Miller. A pleasure and a privilege to have you join me today as we continue on this journey together to help you to grow through what you go through to navigate adversity in your life achieve your life of peace and prosperity and uh, purpose. This episode is brought to you by the 40-Day Way, our coaching program. You can find it at drbradmiller.com slash 40-Day Way. This is the process which helps you to develop your PLP, your promise life plan to get you unstuck and get on with the things in your life that really matter. You can always head over to drbradmiller.com and find over 200 episodes of this podcast designed to help you to overcome adversity. Here's our question for today. Do you find yourself frozen in frustration, clouded by confusion, dissolved in anxiety, dripping with despair? This is all about sensory overload, a state of mind which you may find yourself in, in which many people find themselves drowning in data, which is supplied by the internet or other entities, which really have no regard to our best interest, but just bombard us and get us stuck. Our guest today is Travis Cochran, and his in his book, Restoring Reason, he's going to help us to unpack a few things about how to take a track in our life where we take control by using your mind and not being manipulated by the media or anything else, but knowing that your intellectual freedom is at stake and everything from academics to big tech to media and government 
is really has an agenda to, in some ways, control us. And we have to take back personal control. And he advocates that we can do that by following some ancient philosophies. So today we're going to learn. We're going to feel his pain about he had his own story of dealing with some frustrations in his own family and other places where he had some of those feelings of being frozen and frustrated like we just talked about. We're going to learn about some of the skills that Dr. Cochran talks about to evaluate the waves of knowledge that come around us and make sense of it for our particular circumstances. And that's uh, so hard. That's so important here. And how to apply some ancient philosophy, some ancient thinking to our modern life. He talks about a concept called a triumvium, which has to do with taking the concepts, the triple concepts of knowledge and understanding and wisdom and developing our own personal self-defense manual, intellectual self-defense manual to make sense of the world. This is a fascinating area. We need to get our heads around it a little, little bit. Dr. Cochran is a philosopher and a liberal arts enthusiast. He is a scholar and a leader. He is a, uh, a teaches and he works in the, in the health field in the country of the Netherlands. You're going to find this uh, fascinating conversation here. It's all about taking control of your own mind. A little bit about mindset here, but it's about taking understanding that you do not have to be completely uh, uh, overwhelmed by all the information barrage that comes at you, that you have a choice here and you can do something about it. Our guest today to talk about the book, Restoring Reason, Using the Ancient Liberal Arts to Defend Against Modern Manipulation, is the author, Dr. Travis M. Cochran. Let's get into that conversation right now. Dr. Travis Cochran is the author of Restoring Reason, Using the Ancient Liberal Arts to Defend Against Modern Manipulation. He is a philosopher and a liberal arts enthusiast who helps aspiring scholars to pursue a self-taught education He's been involved with the healthcare industry in the Netherlands, and he is also has a bachelor's degree in philosophy and a minor in biology, and he's been involved with finances and other leadership areas in life, and he is our guest today on the Beyond Adversity podcast. Dr. Travis Cochran, Cochran, welcome to Beyond Adversity, my Thank friend. you, Dr. Brad. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Well, thank you, Travis. I appreciate you being with me. I'm fascinated by our topic here today, and a little bit has to do with my own background. You are a philosopher and a person who is an intellectual person, and yet you have, from reading through your book, you also have some issues with academia. You also have some issues with big business and big government and some things along this line. And I come from a background in ministry myself, and I also have a degree in philosophy and religion and just have an interest in how one can use reason in your mind to tackle issues in life and to think through things and not just only be a reactionary. And I, I think it's a little bit what yep. you're about. But what I mentioned, first of all, is what is what was something that kind of triggered something for you? What was some adversity or something in your life that triggered you to have something that you'd said that, okay, I got to find a methodology or a way to navigate this that may be apart from my past well, experience? I, I think, Brad, what it was, I came into, con- it's through discourse, right? Like, good, healthy conflict with people, good discourse, I began to realize that there was an incredible difficulty trying to, I don't I guess, 
teach someone, help someone, or help them learn about whatever topic it may be. And it's usually a topic that I had some certainty on, like a topic about whether it's like how to eat, how to exercise, what form of healthcare. And what I realized is that probably myself included, many people are very emotionally attached to, yeah, their previous conviction biases, something that they're just so emotionally invested in that the, they, they're convinced it's true. And so I guess I just finally saw through mm-hmm. all the particular discussions, there was one one line, something that went through every one of those. And that was that we defend based on emotion. And so I decided what I'd rather do is have discussions with people about thinking. So that's what, that's what really what pushed me to write this book and to like share these methods with other people so that they weren't stuck in this. Mm-hmm. Do you remember any particular, you remember any particular experience there, Travis, that really kind of was a tipping point for you One particular argument or encounter or a situation in the business world or in academics where you said, okay, yeah. enough's <laughs> enough. I got to deal with this. I would in, say there were pl- in my field, there are plenty in academics, but the ones that, and you can probably relate to this, the ones that, motivate, inspired me and motivated me the most were the ones I have a family. Those are the people I care about. And mm. also they're, they're yes. I'm sure you would agree with this. They're often the most difficult people to get through to because I mean, my, my parents, my siblings, they, they know me as like this little kid. And as you grow up and you develop maybe some expertise or preeminence in an area or field, it's still hard for them to see you as an expert. And it's not that you're trying to make them wrong or anything. You just Mm -hmm. want to share this information. And so for me, it was really with them about probably about food and healthcare. And it got to be a bit, yeah, I didn't want to jeopardize the relationship. So what I did was I put the arguments to the side and then I just began to teach them basically without their knowing I was teaching them the trivium. All my discussions were then based around how, how do you form your opinions where do you get your data from? Things like that. So in a roundabout way, I just wanted to teach them the, the proper tools and skills. And then, yeah, years later, yeah, it's I'm sitting in a very good position with my family. They look to me as the like the trusted authority on health and exercise and food and all this stuff. Something comes out in the news. Immediately, I, I get a phone call. So things change, but it was a slow, deliberate process where I had to make sure they had the tools that I was using, right? Every mathematician, if they understand addition and subtraction, they're going to get the same conclusion. But if they understand those concepts and principles. So I didn't have to worry about winning a debate or telling them my conclusion. I gave them the tools to reach the conclusion themselves. And that that was far more empowering for them. Ah. And it sounds like you're in a better place now with your family and with others, and you've learned some of this process here. And applying data, applying logic to situations is kind of hard to do. And, you know, particularly you and I are talking about things like, you know, the title of your book is Reason. And we're talking about some things like logic and data. But, you know, as you mentioned there, you're with your family and some others. We live in an emotionally boiling point world in many ways. And many, many people do not react well. Let's be honest about it. When we try to apply logic and reason and thinking 
to processes that people would rather or almost automatically are reactionary yeah. to and get emotional or they dredge up something from their past experience and apply it in an inappropriate yeah. way. So what I want to talk to you for a minute here about is what are some of the things you've learned and some of the applications, some of the actions that you've taken, some of the ways that you then took this experience with your family and in academics and other things and began to shift? What are some of the things that you started to do? Because the, the reaction a lot of people would have, I've had my own family, where you kind of react to emotion with emotion, and that really wow. doesn't get anywhere. <laughs> you get stuck. So tell me about some of the things that you did then to help you get to this better point with your family and some of the areas that you've worked uh, on. Something, there was something that was, I was always doing a little bit as I got a little more mature. There was something I did more frequently as I got older. And that was self-reflect and making sure that my my perspective conformed to reason. So many people, mm -hmm. like in, mm -hmm. once I put this book out and since I've been teaching, a lot of people come to me and they'll say, they, it's crazy, man. They always have the same, Brad, they come with the same question every time. It's like, Hey, I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with someone who's unreasonable. How do I convince them of this, this, and this, or whatever it may be? Yes. And I always say, well, first you need to be certain that you're correct or that your conclusions are true. Have you evaluated your premises? Have you looked at those? So that was one thing I did. The other, I think was also really important, and that helped a lot, and that was to be more responsible with my language. Language is, if I were to ask anyone, like, words have incredible power. Like, with a few choice words, you can really build someone up or you can break them down. You can destroy relationships, build relationships. Words have power. And I don't know anyone that would say it's okay to use power irresponsibly. So why are so many people okay with using words irresponsibly? And I decided that I was no longer going to do that. So I decided to start making efforts to use the words for what they mean and mean what I say. And so some of those things had the first things I started looking at were science, the word science, the word data, the word reason, the word understanding, the knowledge. They're not all the same. Like right now, you look at society, the, the news would have us believe, legacy media, which I write about in my book, they yeah. would have us believe sure. that the word science is somehow synonymous with truth, which couldn't be further from the truth. Like science comes from Latin science or sciare to know. And knowledge, that, that can be correct. It can be incorrect. Like over my my lifetime, your lifetime, Brad, we're, what we're always trying to do is improve the quality and quantity of our knowledge. And when we find that some quality, knowledge is mistaken or incorrect, we eliminate it, make room for new. But it is not the truth. It's just a database. And yeah. the majority of that's acquired empirically. And then through reason, sure. we, we add sure. to the quality of knowledge rationally. So we acquire rational knowledge and empirical knowledge. And so I started to get like just talking about those. I started to be a bit more specific. Someone would tell me they have evidence. I say, okay, that's great. Evidence, however, is just data that must prove something. Evidence itself is not proof, right? So I, st I just wanted to make those clear to people, and it made it easier to drive the discussion forward. I think it's a couple things you said they're really important in terms of. When you said to think and reflect, I also thought of the word kind of pause. 
you know, take a breath. You know, sometimes people, you know, say to someone, okay, you know, calm down, take a breath, whatever. And I think that's kind of an important aspect there. And I know that I think it's Stephen Covey said something in, in his seven habits about uh, in order to be understood, take time to Ooh. understand, you know, to try to try to see the other person's point of view. And then you also said, choose your words carefully because man, you just never know what a reactionary thing, what damage it can do. And just, it may send, you know, instead of trying to be convincing, you know, kind of in a debate type of thing, all you're doing is putting up, you know, walls and, and separation there. That's, that's, that's not helpful. That, that That's not helpful. And I kind of, I want to really get into some of your particular processes you use for a reason in just a second here, but you mentioned kind of this area, just a little touched on a little bit about how, kind of that reflective and meditative process about how you're trying to looking for some area of commonality. And I'm wondering if there's any aspect of this, Travis, in your experience that is kind of this place that's a little bit beyond what our present circumstances are. What I mean by that is, you know, for is there any connection to, did you think, to something greater than self or greater than the relationship that comes into play here? For some people, it might be meditation. Some people might be spirituality. Some people might be religion. Some people might be something else. But is there any place for something kind of a, a vibe beyond self that comes into play to helping people to come to this, what I think is your goal of a higher yeah. quality yeah, life? A higher quality life, I would say, requires recognition of something higher than yourself. Like that, That's like a foregone conclusion for me. And I certainly am mm-hmm. convinced of that. It's not just, and I would say it's it's more than a belief. It's not to me. It's not a belief. It's I have knowledge that that conforms to reasons yes. that there is something higher, and that and if it wasn't there, we wouldn't have well life. Life is the expression of some intelligence in matter. So, and it, that's in my profession. This is something we talk about a lot. So, yeah, for me, and one of my favorite quotes. Also, this is from an old Russian philosopher, Mikhail Bakunin. And he says, mm-hmm. he says the liberty, so freedom, the freedom, the liberty, he says, the liberty yes. of man consists solely in this, that he understands the laws of nature for himself, not because they were given to him externally by some, yeah, by some other force, another person. So to me, like for some people, it's very Spiritual, I guess it, it can be for me too. This is where I'm careful with my words, but really sure. the laws of nature, like nature is like, those are the only real laws. Man has convinced us that we, they have laws too, but those are really rules. Rules can be changed and they're always changed by the ruler, right? Wear your seatbelt. Don't go this fast. Don't do this. But nature has laws. And when you violate those laws, yeah, you pay, you pay, you pay the, 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 for instance, small, I jump off the top of my house here. I, I'm there, there will be consequences. I'll violate the law. Yeah, There's also these extends when someone truly, like Mikhail Bakunin was saying, once you truly understand the laws of nature, that also makes murder and all these other things that we would read in like, say the 10 commandments and many other religious mm-hmm. or spiritual texts that those are also a very reasonable conclusion from the laws of nature as well. And then, which leads to question to the more theologically inclined scholar to start asking, 
well, who's the author of nature? I think it's, that's awesome. I just, I'm just a big believer that, uh, you know, to have a high quality of life, it involves personal transformation. If you want to uh, transform groups, bodies of any kind, be they a business or a political group or a country or whatever, personal transformation has to take place and corporate transfer transformation has to take place. And that's a, a yeah. part of it. And, and yet you have these entities, these forces that kind of push mm -hmm. against this transformation. And you talk about a little bit those in your book, uh, big tech and some others. And let's go about, you know, you know, uh, uh, there are some authors talking about the resistance we all go against. What are some of these forces that we have to battle against or to be and deal with in order to have personal high quality of life? Go into those areas just for a minute here. I know you mentioned yeah, several. Yeah, sure. These, I would call them a bit nefarious. And some people, with with good reservation, they like to think, no, that can't be with academia. Academia is definitely one of them. I would say uh, academia, big government, big tech, big corporations and uh, legacy media. Like a, just a quick example, I mean, in the last 10 years, you can see how all five kind of collude. They're like accomplices in a way. And it's a shame because not, not every institution starts like this. I would say the majority of institutions, political, academic, theological, otherwise, they all start with the best of intentions. It's just through loss of principles and objectives that they begin to lose their moral compass. But a quick example of how these five work together, if we were just taking an example in our society today, in the last 10 years, there's not a year goes by that you can't find at least one giant pharmaceutical company. I mean, we could take like weapons manufacturers, whatever, but I'm, let's just focus there. We'll yes. focus on that. In the last 10 years, not a single year goes by that not one of those big companies is found guilty for some sort of scientific fraud or of some some regard. Happens it, all and they the get time. hit for <laughs> you know millions and if not billions of dollars in fines. So here we have sure, which makes you wonder what we're not yeah, knowing as yeah, well. That's, you know what what's what they're getting yeah, what they're getting away that's with. That's just so, what so got speak. caught, right? So if you just consider right. that, here we have evidence that uh, big like big pharma, that's big corporation. Okay, guilty. Now the people that should be holding them accountable, big government. But they're so tied together that they get a slap on the wrist. You know, they make trillions of dollars from a pharmaceutical drug and pay a fraction of millions off that trillion dollar offset. So government that's supposed to hold them accountable. Academia, where they do the research for these drugs. If all their funding comes from pharma and the big government, well, I can tell you what, 100% of scientists agree with whoever's paying for their studies. Next, I should yes, be hearing about this on legacy media, but they, they do quite the good job of keeping this all hush-hush and us yeah. more concerned about mm -hmm. what the Kardashians or some other celebrity is doing. <laughs> and then if I, so, yes. I mean, and then if I want to yeah. talk about it, say, on social media, well, then they have like carte blanche. They can censor me, shut me down, shadow ban. So the five of these are like they work. And that's just one example, right? With just say pharmaceutical corruption. Right? Mm -hmm. But you can see how sure. all five of them sure. work hand in hand to really, in the way I see it, they murder the intellect. They are guilty of murdering the intellect. When I steal or withhold information from you, I'm stealing from you opportunity, opportunity to conclude the yes. truth, to live your life 
in the in the truth. Very interesting you use that phraseology there, Travis, murder the intellect, because I know that is where you go with your book and with your thinking and your teaching is how the individual has to take responsibility for their own intellectual intellectual uh, property, yeah. as it were, your own mind, your own thinking, your own decision-making. And a lot of what you write about is making high-quality decisions that lead to high-quality life. And you use something I'm fascinated by, by the process here you talk about. And I, I like to talk in my teaching about thinking with discipline and to apply that kind of a strategy, strategic thinking in, in, in your life. And, and you really bring back to us some ancient ways of thinking, ancient future, <laughs> if you will. If you would unpack that for us a little bit, the subtitle of your book is Ancient Liberal Arts. Tell us a little bit of what you're talking about there and how we need to, you know, you mentioned about the big, you know, the big business and big media and so on, how this individual approach can help us to deal with all this pressure we have. I'm trying to make this as simple as I can. I used to recommend this book by Sister Miriam Joseph called The Trivium, which talks about the first three of the seven classical liberal arts. And that's what I, I'm also bringing forth in my book. I'm just doing it in a more digestible way. I used to recommend her book, but people didn't find it, I don't know, sexy enough or intriguing. It was. It, it reads like a, <laughs> okay. it reads like a university text. However, it is such a great sure. book, and I still recommend it to people. But nowadays, people are looking. Well, lay it on me just just for my own personal reference, if nothing else. What is the book uh, you're referring to? A, here, here we go. I'm going to hold it up for you, just in case the video gets out. Okay. Well, we're going to be posting this the on Trivium. YouTube as well. So, yeah, the Trivium. And who's the author? I can't Sister see the author. Sister Miriam there. Joseph is the liberal okay, arts of logic, grammar, and rhetoric. And that's you. We'll, we'll put a, besides your book, we'll put a link to that in our show notes at Dr. Right. Brad Good. Uh, uh, people get a lot of benefit from that. I'm, However, the book does it, what it misses is it's not like, and this is what I think your podcast is all about. It's not providing any explanation or examples of how the trivium or these liberal arts are going to better your life or empower you. And if you recognize that we live in a world with, let's say, nefarious agents who are out to murder the intellect, then it is your responsibility to. I mean, if I walked into a room with some nefarious creatures, it's up to me to defend myself. But it's really become more information war. And so we have to prepare our mind. It needs to be strong defense. So those first three liberal arts or the first three of the classical seven is knowledge, understanding and wisdom. Or as Sister Miriam Joseph calls them more academically, grammar, logic and rhetoric. And they go pretty simple. The first liberal art is compiling data information, naming things, and structuring a, how, how to structure a statement and using proper words. The second liberal art, logic or reason or understanding, this is where you're constructing arguments. So once you know how to properly construct a statement, you're, you, you know how to define your words, you res, use the correct words, respect for the words, then you form arguments. That's multiple statements. So like an argument in, in logic or in philosophy, an argument isn't like a debate or a fight or a disagreement. An argument is a minimum of three statements, two of which are premises, one of which is a conclusion. Um, of course, you could have many more premises, but it's a minimum of three statements. And then the third liberal art is concerned uh, rhetoric or wisdom. Wisdom is the expression of what you know and what you understand. And that's concerned with effectiveness. So 
So that was something I had to practice when I was communicating with my family. For all the knowledge and understanding I had, um, I was not an effective communicator. So those are the three liberal arts, and they all have to do with the quality of our mind and how we present that quality of mind to others. So how do we start applying these in practical sense? You know, you've you've named them off here, the trivium of understanding, wisdom, and knowledge. And you mentioned, you know, kind of in broad strokes how important they are. Let's get practical for a minute, Travis. You know, let's just say that I'm in one of these conflicts, you know, politically or health related COVID, you know, COVID is a huge thing in our world. The last couple of years still is have people, uh, you know, deal with that in their family and other things like that. So kind of give us kind of a play out of scenario for us, how we might apply these areas in our life in order to deal with some challenging situation. Well, I think the first thing is uh, what you, you mentioned this, Brad, and that was uh, that what you were saying from Dr. Uh, from Stephen Covey. Pause. Just pause yeah. for a moment. Think about the words you're using. But I always start with the words I use and defining terms. So if... Mm-hmm. You recognize there's conflict, like you're a bit heated or a lot heated. You have to practice recognizing that first. Otherwise, you stay stuck in the what you you would call debate. I, I don't like debates. I prefer discussion because a debate debate okay. assumes debate indicates a winner or loser. Yeah, does there's it? always the you assumption know. that one must win, one must lose. In a discussion done properly, you have everyone wins because right? most people are walking yes. away a bit wiser. Of course, that requires. People right, 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 right. Having a desire to learn. Yeah, that's the first thing, when, especially when you're talking to a loved one. When you're talking to a loved one, rem- you have to remember you both care about each other's outcome. That, that may help with the pause. And when you do, then the first thing is to define your terms. Let's make sure we understand one another. What is it you're, you're trying to say? And then I often try to repeat it back in, in my own words to make sure that I do understand what they're trying to say before I even give my opinion. Cause I may have to reflect, maybe they were actually in agreement with me. So yes. pause or define your terms, understand the other party and remember above all when it's a friend, family or coworker, it's very likely that you're concerned with each other's well being. You're not just doing this cause you want to destroy a relationship. Most of them, we do not really truly wish the other party no. ill. We just kind of think they're wrong. <laughs> we think we're right. And, uh, but we, but the realization is you just kind of put in those flat out terms that yeah. it becomes a debate and people get defensive and put up walls and so on and so forth. And it's ultimately not helpful to the end result, which is higher quality of life for others. And so if you can find some way, and this is what you're helping us do here, and I love it here, Travis, you're helping us find a process where we can help both parties navigate this to come out to some place of mutual understanding. Probably no one is going to be completely, you know, bought into the other side, but if we can find a way to live together and find a way to enjoy one another, and uh, come out to a better place. That's a win. Sure. That's a win-win. And there's a lot of other things we can do too. Yeah. That's just the beginning for for me. And and that's just at the at the at the get-go when we're in the first phase of the trivium. Later, we really, yeah, logic is really the key to the whole thing. You have to make sure you're familiar with. You use the phrase "logic is power." Tell us what you mean by that in terms of our yeah, conversation of here. Many people falsely believe that like knowledge is power. Knowledge is not really power. Understanding that knowledge is what's what power is, right? When I can, when I can, 
I sometimes heard it called the proper application of knowledge as well. I don't feel don't don't you think yeah. about that? But well, I'll, I'll give you a, a clue or a, not a clue, but an example. I can tell you what the Pythagorean theorem is: a squared plus b squared equals c squared in a two-dimensional right triangle. Okay, now you have knowledge. But if you, it's far more powerful if you understood that yourself. You understand how it was derived, the principles, how to derive it. You could do it on your own. That's a much stronger and more powerful mind than the one that just takes in information and believes it. Because although the Pythagorean theorem is true, if you if one were to get in the practice of acquiring knowledge that way, like I was just told then that's a very dangerous and precarious situation. If you don't know how to verify yourself through deductive or inductive reasoning and the operators of logic, then you are forever dependent on trusting authorities when ultimately you are the authority mm -hmm. in your life. And yeah. that's, that's the difference. Yeah. When someone has the skills of logic and they know how to like validate, does this conform to reason or not? That is incredible power. Knowledge. I mean, knowledge is not like I can't, Brad, uh, this phone right here in front of me, I can Google just about anything. Knowledge sure. is just pouring in it, whatever I want, but, but I can't validate if it's correct or incorrect with logic, which is systematic, reliable, reproducible, stable. That, that foundation is incredible power. And that goes the process, I believe, because, you know, we're talking about one of the things that people deal with. One of the things I was struck by just a few months ago, Travis, was again, Google, Google search does a year end thing about the year in search and the end of the year 21. It wasn't top search terms and the, the top search term in Google was in Google was how can I heal? And I just thought that was really kind of fascinating because it just talked about process, you know, that I'm hurting, I want to heal. But I also think it has to do with people have so much access to information now. And, you know, the whole thing about information overload and whether it's, you know, medicine or politics or anything else or, you know, entertainment, there's so much out there that just can overcome us. And I think what you're trying to do, and what I'm really all about is helping people get a process then to help find it for yourself. What's for you? And in that process, you do have to narrow some stuff down and you do have to simplify things. You know, for you and I, for instance, could, if we chose to, you know, we, we both come kind of from a philosophy background, you know, we could talk about, you know, Immanuel Kant or any number of things we could talk about if we wanted to, or epistemology, anything like that. We could throw around terms, and that kind of stuff that you and I could relate to, but it would not mean a hill of beans to a lot of other people we're dealing with when we're just talking about it, you know, how you know stuff and how you do stuff. You know, that kind of stuff. And so I want to go there with you for just a second about you obviously wrote this book with people in mind and situations in mind and want to serve some sort of a serve the public, you know, and I know you have some of your feelings about about kind of traditional self-help type of things. But I believe in your heart, you're one of trying to help people get a process here. So let's talk about how this book and how what you teach can serve others, especially, I'll just use the term, serve others with love and the sense of, you know, really caring on some deeper level. How can somebody use your book or use what you teach in order to be helpful in their life? Well, I, I put in this, first, I, I kind of like put forth the five suspects, those legacy media academia. Then I wanted to 
give the 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 trivium in the best, most easy, usable, like like what you were saying, not in the way like someone who's studied philosophy has a degree in philosophy would talk about it, but in a super user friendly way, so that they can enter this this realm with us, that they also had the same tools that that you and I have. Then in the remainder of the book, I spend the rest of it just talking about how just, and there's plenty more. That's why I love the discussion around this. But before I talked about the four areas of your life that how they'll get better or that can get better and some examples of how that might be, I talked about how it's going to affect relationships, business decisions, healthcare, and politics. And those things, when left to rule by emotion, they are very erratic, unstable. Uh, emotions come and go, like how you, how we feel about each other right now, Brad, that can change in five minutes or five months, it's, right? And that's not what decisions should be made on, especially about my health care or my politics or business. You know, I don't know anyone successful in business or any super healthy person that's making rash emotional decisions. So it's all about slowing down. And I... I I really just want to restore reason to the world, restore reason to discussions. We all live together. You and I, Brad, we're, we're not roommates. In fact, we don't even live in the same country. But with your family or my, my family or whoever I live with in the same house, I want us to have a higher quality life. And that means we need to restore reason yeah. to our discussions, to the home. And I think that should also apply to my community, to my country. Because ultimately, we're all kind of roommates on the planet. And that's the sure. way I look is at this it. Kind of what, uh, I'm sorry. Is this kind of what you mean when you talk in your book and you're teaching about achieving preeminence? Is that where we're going with this here now about how to come to that that place? Yeah, yeah of course. That's what uh, I mean with your podcast, which, by the way, this you know, beyond adversity. How many people need this right now? And when you keep putting out quality information, what happens? I mean, people see Dr. Brad Miller as the trusted authority on over on like overcoming adversity, right? You become the preeminent person on that. And that's what we need. We need more people that are preeminent, not based on emotion, but because of the loving service, the quality of service, what they give and what they provide. Those are the people I want to see in preeminent positions. Those should be the trusted authorities, not the ones that have gotten there by leveraging malevolently our emotions. And that's why these tools belong in the hands of not just these giant mega institutions, but they belong in the hands of every one of my neighbors, friends and family. All right. Well, let's talk one just one more track of question or two for you. And it has to do with neighbors, friends, and family and what you're touching on there. And what I want to get with you here, Travis, is has there been any situation or person or coworker or a family member or for maybe someone who's been a, I know you spent some time in the college world, a student of yours perhaps, who's followed some of your advice and you've seen, okay, I see some change here. I see something good happening here. I'm looking for a, a story here now of something some transformation. Oh, sure. The, that happens with a lot of my colleagues, actually. The COVID, COVID was a, yeah, COVID was a crazy time, of course, like you've already said, and you could see it <laughs> amazingly. It, it just astounds me how COVID was destroying families, that like they were being broken up because of their their diverging opinions, and so 
what I saw with some of my colleagues, I teach this with my colleagues all the time. The one and the more the ones that spend more time with me get more of this teaching. And one of the things that comes out is, yeah, this is uh, many of my colleagues are expats. They they're not here from the Netherlands. They come from Norway, Italy, Spain, England, from all over. Sure. And so, and you're an American citizen, yeah, just yeah. to make clear, and right? Yeah. So, so my I'm also an expat. I also live far away from my family, and they all seem to be having this similar breakdown where the their brothers and sisters, their parents, they were just like the relationship was breaking down. And I, I had already been like years ago, long before COVID, I had already been through all this. And I over years, my relationship is completely transformed based on just taking time away, years away, like becoming a preeminent person, being firm in my knowledge and my understanding, making sure that I know I understand what I'm talking about. And luckily now I can pass this on and how to go about it and how to hold these discussions so that people don't have to go through kind of what I went through. And uh, one of my colleagues, he's like probably one of the most shining examples right now. There are actually a couple of them. Yeah, Paolo as well. <laughs> but they go home now. What, what my Italian colleague, he goes home now. His sister, his parents, all like fully on board. He is now the preeminent healthcare. And his, his mother's a doctor, a medical doctor. But he goes home. He is the preeminent. He's the trusted authority on healthcare now. Same with one of my Norwegian colleagues. He goes home and it's it's great to watch them do these things, define their terms, slow down, ask questions, understand the other party. The other thing that they do really well um, that I hope more people do is stop attaching yourself to ideologies, opinions, and perceptions. We always use possessive pronouns. We talked about this earlier, Brad, the use of words. So when we stop using possessive pronouns and use like definite or indefinite articles before. So if you and I are having a discussion and we have opposed ideologies, I would say instead of, well, my opinion, I would say, well, here's a opinion. Here's another opinion. What about this perspective or that idea instead of mine, yours? Because like you said, that's why we get so worked up and emotionally reactive because we think we are being attacked. The more we. And that also helps, helps people make their own decision yeah. as well. You know, you're not yeah. imposing your will on them. You're helping provide a framework. Yeah. Or a We've got to start attaching ourselves to this stuff. And if, if the other party doesn't know it, that's okay. You have to be above that and know that like, that's the, that's as emotionally convicted as they are. That's simply their opinion now. And if, and if you want to help them make a better decision or see something more clearly, see, actually look at the evidence that's, that contradicts their ideology, that doesn't have to take years of struggle and conflict. It can happen when you work on your rhetoric or your wisdom, your expression of that knowledge and understanding. And, and you can make that happen. You can, what's the word I'm looking for? Facilitate that at a, at a much a quicker rate. If you can be the facilitator, then you can be, as you've mentioned here, kind of the preeminent authority in that process and be helpful. 
and be helpful. I, I'm, I'm kind of all about how, what can we do in this world to be helpful and help people gain? I like to reuse the word gain instead of goals. Sometimes to, to me, a goal is kind of a set point and gain is kind of a growing thing. And I like to be about that. And I love what you're sharing here because it helps people give this process and it helps give us at least some opportunity for people to apply reason. You know, I come from the world of religion. I'm a pastor, and but I come from a tradition and where we use four, uh, in my Protestant particular flavor of Protestantism, we use four, what we call the quadrilateral, a little bit like the Trafford. And it's uh, applying to your life to have a healthy life. Uh, scripture as a, as a source of authority, experience kind of the emotional thing, tradition, kind of what we, the best of what we bring from our past, but also reason using your head. There's no reason to check your head at the door. We call it the quadrilateral in my tradition. And I, I love that can be applied here as well. And, and I think you've given us some great things, some great tools to work with. And you've told us a story of transformation. That's all those, what I'm looking for your own personal transformation and how that applies to others. And, and you got some good stuff to be helpful here to, to other folks, Travis. So how can, how can folks get in contact with you or get your book or learn more about you? How can folks? Yeah, we've made, thanks, you? Brad. We made it real easy. All you have to do is uh, go to www restoringreason.com. If you go to restoringreason.com, there you can download the first chapter of the book for free, no strings attached. And that's what I recommend because at the very least, you'll get value from that book and you'll at least know the direction it's going and then be able to make a better informed and reasonable decision if it's kind of information for you. And hopefully (laughs) you don't base that decision purely on emotion. Good stuff. Well, we thank you for being our, our guest today here on the Beyond Adversity podcast. We're all about helping you to grow through what you go through. Our guest today on Beyond Adversity, Dr. Travis Corcoran, the author of Restoring Reason, Using the Ancient Liberal Arts to Defend Against Modern Manipulations. Thank you, Travis, for being our guest today. Many thanks to Dr. Travis M. Cochran. He is the author of Restoring Reason. You can find it at restoringreason.com. I love an intellectual discussion about this, about things that matter, because something that really matters in our world is the fact that you are bombarded all the time by messages, thousands and thousands of messages every day. And how do you sort it out? How do you make sense of it? And a lot of people complain about being overwhelmed, and some of it is just data processing. And he gives us some tools to do just that. A couple of takeaways from the book. I would just uh, commend to you the thinking about, about understanding knowledge itself. We talked about how the phrase knowledge is power is not quite as accurate as saying logic is power. That is, how do you use the knowledge that you have? How do you use and apply it to your particular situation? How do you make sense of it? And how can you kind of sort out and break down the differences uh, for you? And how can you apply it to the things that really matter in your life? Like, how do you make informed good decisions about health care or politics or achievement? And then he talked about the concept of uh, personal of uh, preeminence, about helping to bring yourself to the top, help you bring yourself into preeminence in your own life instead of being kind of a uh, categorized by all the knowledge that that you have. A couple key concepts there that I would just commend to you as takeaways to apply to your own life. You can find all about him and get a free gift. One of the things that you can do about this is go over to restoringreason.com and there Dr. Cochran has a free chapter of his book just for you. You can head over there to restoringreason.com and you can pick that up. 
Here on the Beyond Adversity podcast, we're all about helping to pick you up and to give you resources that you need in your life. This particular podcast is brought to you by the 40-Day Way. You can find it at uh, more information about it at 40 at uh, drbradmiller.com slash 40-Day Way. This is our coaching program, which helps you develop your own personal life plan, your PLP, that help you to go through reason, among many other things, that help you to develop your own plan of life. So you can be unstuck, get out of those that uh, malaise of media and mediocrity and have your own plan to get to your promised life of peace and prosperity and purpose. Go over to drbradmiller.com slash 40 day way. We can get you started right there. We have over 200 episodes of this podcast at drbradmiller.com. They're all about you, helping you to navigate adversity in your life, to achieve your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. That's my purpose in life, Dr. Brad Miller. My purpose is to help you to do just that. I've got a doctorate degree in this area, 40 years of experience in Christian ministry, and I love to see it when people transform their lives and have a pathway to success. That's what I'm all about. I'm here to serve you. We'll be here every week. Until next time, friends, I want to encourage you to continue to do all the good that you can. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. You can find a complete archive of all episodes at drbradmiller.com. That's drbradmiller.com. Or subscribe for free through Apple Podcasts and never miss an episode. Each week, we bring you a message to crush adversity and live your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose.